how does one need to show up in order to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work? What are the practical skills and tools that boost one's practice of leadership in order to do that? These are the challenges that we as leadership practitioners approach every day as we observe and coach people in all kinds of roles, in all levels of organizations, and at organizations of various sizes. In this podcast, we'll share our experiences, the experiences of the people we support, and what we see as working. I'm Jonathan Rosenblatt. And I'm Marlene Jabrowski. Welcome to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. Hey, JR. Hey, Marlene. We're calling this one context, sharing information, and holding space for discovery. And this came out of last week's podcast where we had this great conversation with Sam about some aspects of what it means to create context and to understand where we are in context. And we thought we had this great case study that we could talk about uh, for this next step deeper into context. And it's actually looking at some decisions that you and I have been thinking about around how we show up as leaders in our learning circles, supporting our learners to work with our framework. What was interesting to me when we first started with the learning circles was this notion of learning and you know, learning versus teaching versus coaching versus all of these different modes. Our students were coming into the learning circle. And at first it was all about, we're here to learn about the leadership practitioner framework. So tell us what it is. Tell us what to do. Tell us how to do it. I remember Merlin, you and I were sitting and we're like, but hold on a second. The whole point of calling the framework a framework was that it wasn't prescriptive in the sense that we're going to tell you what to do, right? The the intention of the leadership practitioner framework is so that it's a set of practices that kind of helps frame the way you think about things. So it would be opposite to the framework to come into a learning circle and then say, okay, well, this is how you're going to do it. And yet at the beginning, at least the students were coming in and were like, no, no, like we want to be told how to do it. I would go one further. Like the framework itself is a framework for showing up as a modern leader. Although there are definitely moments where we might choose where we are on that spectrum between modern and more traditional leadership, and there might be entirely appropriate moments where we choose to teach or to instruct or to direct or to to give the answer, the framework itself is an invitation for people to embrace practitioner habits that are about more creating a context for exploring curiously, creating a context for even when sharing information, to share information in ways that invite that participation, invite that space for co-creation. And so it, it tends to go against the grain of a traditional approach of teaching. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, JR, sort of teaching versus coaching. And I'm wondering for our listeners, if we could just unpack that a bit. There's so many different ways of, of defining each and every one of those. I think 
the easiest way that I've found to to talk about the difference is teaching is more like telling. It's like it's like here is the answer based on the ways that I have uh, developed it. I know it. I teach it. This is the way it is. Where coaching, um, again, if I were to sum it up in like a one or two liner, is really it has nothing to do with me as the teacher or the coachee. It's all about the other person's discovery of what the concept means to them. Mm-hmm. And that they're very much in the driver's seat, directing where it's going to go, directing where it's meaningful for them. You know, when I, when I think about context and you had mentioned, you know, that we were going to go deeper into context, I think this is the part that's ultimately the question is that we've said now probably in the last six episodes, at least once in each, where the purpose of of a leadership practitioner is to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work. And so when we look in that context, and, and last episode, we talked about building this bubble around people, which ultimately is the context. It's, it's a very interesting space where you kind of go back and forth on when should I share information? So as a leader in, in this context, within this context, when does it serve the, the context best? to give the answer, so, aka teaching, right? Sharing information in a way that is teaching. Or when does it serve best to challenge what is known in the space and, and hold that space for discovery? And to me, I think that when we talk about context, that's probably one of the first things that are, are so interesting to explore because they can I don't want to say make or break the context, but really have a profound impact on our ability. So the leadership practitioner's ability to invite that best self of everybody within the context. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that many of our coachees have brought to us in our our coaching of them and our learning circles with them has been... If I'm in an organization, like I'm thinking particularly of our of our folks who are coming from work contexts, where they're understanding that they're being evaluated on their ability to provide the answers to to their peeps, right? They've got the people that they're are reporting to them, and they're being evaluated, or they they perceive that they might be being evaluated, or they absolutely are being evaluated on their ability to direct the behavior of the people reporting to them. So they show up and they ask us, well, well, how do I create a context that seems to be in tension with that requirement that I provide the answers? And then we had this really interesting moment where here we are with our framework that's showing an alternative approach. It's an invitation to explore alternatives, just simply going to that easy, here's the answer. And we noticed, and this was a really beautiful moment, I think, where we noticed, oh my gosh, we feel that same pressure from our coaches and from our students where they show up and they're like, just give us the answer. And we were like, will we provide value? You know, are we going to provide the value that they're showing up here for if we don't just give them the answer? We knew as practitioners that, I mean, come on, we've got to, we've got to preach what we practice. Of course. (laughs) I mean, like our, our entire framework is about modeling the behavior, showing up the way you want other people around you to show up. 
And yet we could feel that pressure, even in this context that we had taken so much care and so much effort to co-create and make it this beautiful, inviting context of safety for people to show up and explore these concepts. And then bam, there we were having anxiety that if we didn't preach, if we didn't teach in that traditional sense of teaching, that our students might go out the door without that feeling of value. So it just goes to show how pervasive that that relationship of install, you know, okay, I'm going to come and buy the thing from you install the thing, the transactional nature that we just we're, were steeped in it. And here we are in this context where we're trying to disrupt that. And we notice it, the, the larger context is actually acting upon us. And we've got to resist that and create that bubble, not just for our students, but for ourselves. Absolutely. We're bringing that, right? We're bringing that as our own baggage. I remember, so I will be the first to admit, I remember those first learning circles. I remember uh, our debriefs afterwards where I was telling you, Marlene, I'm like, Marlene, I feel so compelled to just give the answers because it's so easy in that the way our, our minds work, right? We hit a problem. We're like, oh, right away, jump to the answer. And, and also having known the framework as much as I do. And I love this framework, right? So that desire to just give the answer or to share the information in a way that was more of that, what we were saying before teaching, it was so natural to me, right? And I, I remember us having our conversations and, you know, you would ask me, so JR, like, that was an awesome learning circle. And how could we make it better for the participants the next time? And I remember us going back and forth, back and forth. You had helped me see, even like for within me, how much within that context was all about giving the answer. As soon as we got like from our experiments back and forth, really comfortable in that space to say, well, hold on a second. If we're truly going to practice this framework and we're going to say we're creating a context for people to be the best versions of themselves, well, then we need to let them explore what that means. And that's when we like when we had that aha moment, at least I did, where I switched that mindset from teaching to holding space for discovery. I was watching this learning circle play out in front of me, and I'm like, wow, so much more value across the board. So not only for the people who were in the learning circle, but even for me as the person who technically was holding that context together. So much more value came out of those conversations than came when it was just about the teaching. And it took the doing of it, didn't it? Because I remember like the, I'm going to use the word infectiousness of that fear, right? Because fear, fear can, we can infect each other with fear. And obviously there were already sort of receivers of that fear in me because, I mean, I, I do have in my background, lots of kind of pedagogical experiment and lots of experience teaching in different ways. But the idea that our students will, you know, are extremely focused, driven, busy uh, students or learners who are coming to these learning circles, like in almost all cases, like this particular one we're talking about, it happens at lunchtime. So they're taking their lunch hour from their jobs to come to the circle. 
when you're like, but will they get value? I'm like, yeah, I've got these weird, these kind of, you know, hippy dippy uh, teaching ideas that, that maybe don't belong in this business context. And then I ended up with doubt. And then we actually went back and looked at the videos and we're like, okay, are they getting value from our experiment? We, we tried to open it up a bit and we're like, their faces, right? Are they, are they getting value? Are they, are they, are they bored? Is that bored? Are we looking at boredom? Right. And we spent a lot of time second guessing ourselves. Like we were both in that space. And I, I claim it's because we do live in a world that encourages us to be more transactional. Mm -hmm. And when we try to create, when we make an effort to create the conditions to open up a space that is less transactional, but there's still, a, you know, an implicit transaction. Like it's quite reasonable for our students to want to get their money's worth, right? We want them to, just like it's reasonable for those people who are leaders in the workplace. It's it's reasonable for their bosses to want to get the value of of them as leaders, right? That's what we all signed up for. So I'm not saying the transactionality of it is bad. It's not. It's just what's for dinner. Yet when we don't recognize its effect and we don't trust that there's space for other kinds of value, the space of curious exploration, the space of self-discovery, the space of self-discovery that then leads to co-creation, then we do a disservice. I claim we actually take a bunch of value and we move it off the table and we make it not available. And by we in this context, you're talking about like we, the leadership practitioners, or we, the per the people who are creating that context, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. When our intent is to show up as a leadership practitioner, then we shortchange the, possible, the possibilities of what can emerge when we come in with fear that leads us toward needing to tell people what to do. In no way does that diminish how much I too love our framework, right? <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Like I actually had in our, our my notes as I was getting ready for this podcast and just thinking about things, I wrote in huge capital letters, we love our framework, right? <laughs> like we love it because through our experience, we've come to discover this is a really helpful approach that empowers us. Like I know we hate that word, but just bear with me a moment, that, that creates the conditions that allow ourselves to thrive. And, and we, you know, we've, we've done a lot of effort, we've boiled it down, we've made it really succinct, and we have it as something that we can teach as a thing, right? Like someone can come and sign up and can learn it. Yet when we treat it as only a thing, just like a leader that understands that their job is to impart their knowledge, right? They probably, most leaders have their positions because to some extent, somewhere along a continuum, they've earned it. And the more skills somebody has, you know, there's a reason why we value that in the world. And so we're not saying high skills mean no value. You know, we're not flipping that on its head, but we're saying, how do you bring that love, that experience, that knowledge? The things you know really well, how do you bring that and share that? How do you create a context for other people to share it and yet leave them at choice to pick the parts that work for them and to have space to figure out, 
you know, because they don't know until they've tried, until they've practiced which parts work for them. That's the challenge of leadership. Yeah, it's like it's it's using that knowledge and using that experience to form the context and then share information that you have, that knowledge and that experience, but doing so in a way that holds the space for discovery. I mentioned it earlier, right? But you're using that information. So it's not like you're just talking about things generically. It's not it's not a anyone can do this, though, you know, really good uh, facilitators might be able to jump into any conversation and just, you know, be able to facilitate an amazing conversation. But for the most part, where I've seen a lot of value of leaders coming in and shifting that mindset from, as I said earlier, from telling to creating a, and holding a space for discovery, it's learning how to use your previous knowledge to seed things, to drop information that might help someone discover something for themselves without telling them the answer. I I often have this conversation, like you said, Marlene, where a leader will come and say, well, but I need to tell people because that's why I'm here. And my answer is always, well, yeah, you're here because you might have a set of answers, but you also have the experiences that you went through through your own discovery to get to those answers that you can now leverage to help others discover their answers. And you might learn a thing or two in the process. It's no surprise that we chose shifting mindset as the first inner practice of the leadership practitioner framework, because it really does in fact start there. And when you are, you, the leadership practitioner are coming to create a context it's really understanding where your mindset is at about the context or the context that you're about to go and create and whether you're coming in to tell the answer or you're coming in to hold space for discovery. I mean, there's obviously a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. It's not so binary, but it's really thinking about and ultimately getting to setting that intention for what you want that context, what, that, what you want that space to do for those that are in the context and then helping them through uh, through the experience to get whatever it is that they need out of it. Mm-hmm. And that self-awareness of understanding what that mindset is. So in our, I think it's so important. In our example, our case study then, we, we really didn't get our arms wrapped around what fear was motivating us. And the moment we did, we realized how that was actually coloring our intention. And then we were able to shift that mindset and get really clear on our intention. And then that intention, I think, is what helped us hold that. At this point now, I wouldn't call it fear anymore, but maybe there was a moment of anxiety. I know, I know that when, for example, we ask a question and the answer doesn't come to the surface right away, and maybe there's a silence. I know that I have a visceral response of anxiety in those moments. Maybe maybe that's too heavy a word, but the feeling I'm having is somewhere on that anxiety continuum that maybe I should be speaking. Like silence can feel uncomfortable. But when we solidified the intention that we were going to experiment with silence, a little bit of silence, allow there to be pauses, allow there to be moments of reflection. We debated this 
was this appropriate? Yes, this happens in one-on-one coaching. It's like a standard tool in the coach's toolbox. But when you have a larger group of people, a larger group of people in a hurry who want their answer and get out of there in their 40 minutes of talking together, is it appropriate to spend that time of silence? And we made the intention to experiment and try it. So can you remember that first, that first tick, tick, tick moments of silence? What did that, what did that feel like for you? I felt it in my body, like almost like ants crawling. And then in my mind, I'm saying to myself, do not say the answer. Do not say the answer. Hold the space, hold the space, hold the space. It was tough. Like, even though we had, we set the intention, we did all of the things that we needed to do, but it was so, it's easy to do in theory. And then when it comes to practice, like when you're actually showing up in your practice of leadership, you're create, you've, created that context, but creating a context, it almost sounds like it's like a one and done type of thing, but it's not because you have to maintain that context. So you're going through these process of like, well, I just want to give the answer. And then of course it doesn't help when people then speak up and say, well, can you just give me the answer? Right. And like, you want to just jump in there and be like, well, here's the answer. And then you have to hold yourself back and be like, well, no, no, no. We set an intention. Obviously, this is all, you know, inner speaking, but no, we set an intention for holding the space for discovery. And because you you do that, the next thing that comes out of your mouth then is not here's the answer, but it's tapping into what we just talked about, tapping into that knowledge, tapping into that experience that you have that brought you to this role as you know, the, the context setter and holder, tapping into that and saying, okay, how can I share? How can I share a piece of information, perhaps with the language of possibility or perhaps with the language of experimentation that, that will serve the intention of discovery and help the, like nudge just a little bit forward so that the, that discovery that the person comes to is so meaningful and impactful to that person. I love it. All that of what you just said. And I'm thinking back to my own experience of that moment where in, in, the, in the sessions that sort of ramped up to this, what had me realize sort of what was going on would be if you were sharing answers, then I'd be like, Oh, well, JR is getting all the airtime sharing the answers. Maybe, maybe I need to be sharing all the answers. And then I'm like, JR, you know, nudge, nudge, move out of the way. I need, to, <laughs> I need some time to share some answers here. I'm glad that that happened because that was, for me, that was the clue. That was the hint that what was going on there probably would, that you and I would benefit in our co-creating this space if we talked about what was going on there. But initially it was kind of like, oh, well, I've got to get on some of this giving the answers territory because if someone's, I, I can resist giving the answers as long as somebody else isn't. But the moment somebody else is, oh my gosh, I've got to be in on that because, you know, <laughs> I've only spent the last, you know, untold decades resisting giving the answers because it's satisfying, right? It's so satisfying. And yet, when we ran this experiment, when we committed to it, when we did it, it was so obvious. I mean, we asked, we asked our, our coaches in the end, we couldn't decide we weren't going to guess what their facial expressions meant. <laughs> we were going to ask them. So we asked them and they're like, oh yeah, no, that really works. That really works because you made us think. 
you gave us space to think. And moreover, you made us feel like we could do that thinking. And lo and behold, you know, we have the answers. And that that was really gratifying to to hear that we aren't just making this all up. <laughs> it's clear that we have a bias when creating context, that the context be one for like more of the holding space for discovery. It still begs the question, what are some of the times, if any, that just giving the answer does serve the context best? That's a good one. I think sometimes we might actually ask the person who we're supporting where we could say something like, it seems like you're asking for an answer here, or it seems like you're asking for some advice. You know, is that the case? And give them the opportunity to say yes, no, or some other kind of counteroffer. And then if they say yes, go for it. I think that might be one context. I've used something similar in that I asked the question, it's like, hey, so it looks like you're kind of like how you said, looks like you're looking for an answer here. What is the best way that I can help you with the challenge that you're working through or or whatever it is? What is the best way that I can help you? Because remember, in my head, right, I'm still I'm trying to create a context for this person to be the you know best version of themselves and do their best work. So rather than me assuming what that might be, I tend to like to ask. Because you know what? When you ask the person that and they they've given it more than two seconds worth of thought then maybe that is just what they need right now. Maybe that's what they're a resource to do right now. And so, sure, you give them the answer, but at least you gave that the person the choice and you didn't make the choice yourself or the assumptions as to why this would be the best time. Mm-hmm. I think the only time that I can think of where there isn't really necessarily time for any of that and you just kind of give the answer is probably an emergency situation. If it got from it, the, Ooh, uh, like, the shoes. call nine one one. Yeah, or you know, yeah. if if a, if the plane is going down, and you know, someone's like, "What should I do?" I'm assuming that the the best answer in the moment is, "What do you think you should do?" Right? Or, what would be the, <laughs> what would be the best way that I can help you right now? Oh, I don't know. Stay alive, right? Like, so yeah. I'm thinking that in a situation like that, just giving the answer is probably a safe bet. You might not even wait for the question in some of those contexts. (laughs) Here's a life preserver. Put it on. Yeah. Other than that, I honestly, like, I can't think of any situation where at the very least, if if your true intention is creating that context for someone else to ask, just to get that person to tell you what they need. The other thing that always fascinates me is... In this moment where you're doing that and you are, you know, you're choosing to not give the answer. Let's let's assume that you've asked the question. The person says, no, help me discover. I have yet to have, okay, maybe a handful of times, a handful of times the situation where I ask, what would be, oh, how can I help you best? And I get an answer other than just tell me the answer. It's such a natural reaction from everybody. Even when you ask the question, how can I help you best right now? Seven out of 10 times I get the answer. Just give me the answer. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there's that resistance to wanting to even discover for most people most of the time. So what if in those moments we offer more than one answer? 
and then in doing so, create the conditions where that person is still choosing. Yeah, that's the magic. Mm-hmm. Because you're also picking up in the moment, again, you, the leadership practitioner holding that context, is that now there's two things to discover. There's, there's the, the original question at hand that you're holding the space for discovery. Now you're also holding the space for discovery for the person to, to think through why it might be valuable for them to discover the answer on their own and, and kind of helping them through the resistance to, well, I mean, that requires effort, right? So just give me the answer, right? There's like, there's a resistance there to wanting to think about it yourself, especially when you know that the other person has an answer. Yeah. And that's why I love it. Like when you were saying to, to offer multiple, at the very least, it creates a space where you can start talking about the different options, comparing, contrasting, and so on and so forth. Marlene, I'm, I'm thinking back to the learning circle, the case study again, and the learning circle. And I remember as you know, going through the practice myself, um, you know, and, and kind of going through the motions as the leadership practitioner in the moment, holding the context, creating the context. I remember it was very difficult to kind of like put, put all the stories I was telling myself aside um, so that I can show up as, as the best version of myself, right? The context of self that we were talking about um, with Sam the last time, I was finding it very difficult to maintain that context for myself because there was a whole, like, I mean, I don't, we don't need to repeat it. We said it earlier, all these stories and everything. And so, you know, I remember in our debriefs, you had gone through helping me work through how to do all of that. Do you remember some of those strategies that you kind of, that you were helping me through to help get past these stories? Yeah, I think that you put your finger on it when we began having the conversation about the story of of the fear that the students wouldn't get value, right? And my response to it, if I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm remembering exactly right, and I may because I may be conflating this with other instances where where I've been in those boots. And what's so important is a compassionate response. So when we notice we're telling stories, the very first thing is woohoo! I've just noticed that I've got a story around why I have to tell this person or these people what to do, and that it's for their own good. Or it's for my good, because if I don't do this, they're going to be feeling this, that, or the other thing with regard to me, right? Negative things. And so to have a compassionate response when we notice that we've got that reaction is the first thing. Because when we have that compassionate response to ourselves, we're not beating ourselves up for, oh, gee, you know, here I am teaching this framework, and then here I am working against the grain of the framework in the moment and not noticing. Well, we all don't notice. This happens to everybody. There's a reason why, I don't know, I think there's probably a reason why entire power structures in the world exist where people at the top of the stack love to tell other people what to do. I, I think we're inclined to want to do that. So the very first thing is to call out kudos for ourselves when we notice that we're, we're doing that. And then in that space of noticing, it's, it's about a kind of mental space, right? We talk about 
noticing how we were reacting instead of responding. Okay, well, what intention do we need in ourselves to, you know, to respond instead of react? And so for you, what was it in that moment? Like what, what inspired you to say, I'm going to try this experiment and I'm going to notice this reaction and I'm going to try an experiment around responding, not reacting. Yeah, I think it was enabling learning and improvement and just being like, okay, I notice it. Um, you know, I notice it. I accept that this is, that I'm having these, these feelings about it. Cool. And reminding myself like, no, like the whole point of experimenting with this is to learn and, and get better and to improve and to grow. And so that then kind of like, as soon as that clued in, it helped me set a clearer intention of why, like why I was there and the context I was trying to set. It, it just became self-evident to you of how to get in alignment with your own intention. And then that gave you the energy to overcome that reaction and just let there be some, ask a question and then let there be some silence. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I think I'm thinking back now. It was that, it was that real, like that awareness in the moment that then was a, it was almost like, what do we call it the last time? Recursive, recursion, right? Like it was that recursive loop that I kept coming in and being like, okay, well, hold on. I'm noticing this. Okay. What, how do I need to shift the mindset right now to get back into alignment with intention? tried something different. Did that work? Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. When it didn't, it was again, that awareness and that acceptance that there's something there, try something different over and over and over again until it clicked. Right. But that was a process. Like that was something that I needed to work through as a leader coming into that space because it was different. It was it literally felt like going against the grain of, you know, why I thought I was there. Yeah. And how did it feel when it clicked? It felt, um, it felt liberating, actually, because all of these things that I was thinking and I was making up and whatever didn't seem to matter anymore, right? Because something was going to happen, right? Because it's an experiment. And, and that alignment to intention is what allowed it to feel safe. And then when that felt safe and and thereby creating a context for me to be the best version of myself, I was actually able to come into the learning circles and then create that safety and create that context for others. You pointed out to me, it's like, hey, dude, like if we're going to practice our own framework here, right? Like how do we need to work through it to help you prepare internally with the inner practices? So that by the time we both show up at the learning circle, right, and start practicing our outer practice, connecting and sharing information and, you know, and all of these things, right, just do the practices. And it was just like, it felt like one of those, well, duh, except it wasn't. <laughs> and then I want to share with you the effect that that had on me as a participant in that learning circle because we ended the learning circle and then I went away to another context. And this is not a context where you and I have been able to carefully co-create the conditions and, and make it this really safe space. This was a out in the out in the world, out in the corporate world where I'm working with a group of people. And there was a moment, probably 20 minutes later, where 
I suddenly found myself in a state of fear going, "Uh oh, I better give the answer (laughs) because if I don't give the answer, they won't value this coach that they've hired. And you having just modeled that behavior helped me get through that moment where I was able to offer two possibilities, right? I, I felt like I needed, to, and I, but I did a check. I said, hey, it sounds like you're asking for, for an answer here. And have you considered this? And have you considered that? And had I not just experienced that learning circle with you in this particular constrained moment, I'm pretty certain I would have just said, okay, here's the answer. <laughs> But when we do this and we show other people rather than tell other people, it's a lot easier to take up as a a reassuring experience that then strengthens the people around us, right? So back to that creating a context, when you did that, you literally created a context for me that I could take away into a completely different situation and apply it in a way that I wouldn't have been if you hadn't done that. So it just, it goes to show the power of it and how the actual cognitive know-how is not what's at stake here. Because obviously I had just, you know, come from a context where, where, you know, you've just told a story of where, where I'm creating a context that is helping you self-discover this. Yet in a different context, I'm needing the help to do it. And that experience of somebody who is acting that way bolsters my sense that this is a this is a a professional acceptable approach it just took that fear and it just lowered it a bit and it allowed me to be more responsive and less reactive i suspect that it similarly created similar contexts that followed our learners out into their worlds in that way, as leadership practitioners, we, we shift the larger contexts by showing, you know, rather than telling. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. We invite you to share your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts on how you practice leadership. Join us in the Leadership Practitioner Connection, our community of like-minded practitioners who aspire to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work. You can find it at leadershippractitioner.org slash connection. Mm-hmm.